I want us to create an atmosphere where God can do whatever he wants to do. Let's just block everything out. Let's block everything aside and say, God, for the next 40 minutes or so, I'm going to focus on you. God, I'm going to focus on your word today. Come on, that's it. All across this house, you need a healing. It's here today. You need victory. It's here today. Oh, yes, Jesus, Lord, every need and every situation, I prepare our hearts, our minds, our spirit today, Lord. God, I've come to hear, thus saith the Lord of the, the word of the Lord today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would talk to our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. When I was home mission secretary, me and Brother Johnson connected as he was a home missionary. And I love this young man. I love his passion for the Lord and his commitment to this gospel. Our young ministers are on fire for God. They love God. They love holiness. And they love the truth. Amen. And it is with my honor. He was just elected in this past week as our home mission secretary. And we are thrilled to have him with us today. Brother Johnson, come and deliver what the Lord has given you for us today. Amen. Well, let's clap our hands just one more time. I know it's hot. But how about we lift up our voices and give God some glory and thank him for the glory that he resides in. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and honor you, mighty God. I thank you for your angels that are with us right now and in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I know it feels a little warm, but I feel, I think the AC kicked in. I think it's cooling off, so that I don't know that's good for you or bad for us, because if I start getting too cool, I might just keep on preaching or something. I don't know what I'll do, but it's so wonderful to be here. I give honor to your pastor, Pastor Windsor, and of course, Sister Windsor. They're such good friends of Rebecca and I's. Rebecca could not make it, with me this morning, she had to go down and hold the fort down in Whitfield because we'll be out preaching again the next weekend, and so we didn't want to miss two weekends in a row. It hurts a little church plant like ours. We're a small church out of Whitfield, Virginia, but we have a very big faith in us. And I guess maybe, I don't know how it is here in Leesburg, but if you're, it's the summer slump, you can find yourself in the slumber slump, and people come in and out on vacation. But I commend the people in Whitfield because even though there are people going in and out on vacation, the church has more fire and more enthusiasm than it has ever had since we've started pastoring that church. I'm going to share with you a word of the Lord. I'm going to share a little bit. I think maybe a couple months ago I texted pastor. I was supposed to come, I think, maybe in July. or I can't remember. We're in July now. But something happened with the schedule. But the Lord did speak to me of a word and and someone actually, when where our schedule got rescheduled, I got uh, asked to preach at another church, so I just preached that word at that church too. So I'm going to preach that word that I preached there, and I'm going to add a little bit to you. But I have been, the Lord has been talking to me here recently. I really do believe I have something that's going to add value to your faith. I really believe I have something that I can serve your salvation with this morning. And I believe if you can maybe just look past the heat a little bit, and if you can engage and focus on this word, I believe we can have a transformed lifestyle in here this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about an ordinary to an extraordinary prayer life. 
I'm going to talk to you this morning about going from an ordinary to an extraordinary prayer life. Does anybody want an extraordinary prayer life? Joshua chapter 6 verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. I just remembered I didn't give the scriptures to the, to the media, so I probably need to slow down. I'm in Joshua chapter 6, please forgive me. Joshua chapter 6, starting on verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, I have given Jericho into the hand, into your hand, its kings and the mighty men of valor. And I'm going to do more teaching with you this morning because I really feel that in the Holy Ghost. And we might cut loose afterwards. I don't know, but I do know we're going to have a wonderful time in the Word of God. Every city has a king and every city has mighty men that rule that city. And I'm sure you're not oblivious to the context of your city. I'm sure you're not oblivious that you're in the hub of America. I'm pretty sure you're very much aware of that. I'm pretty sure you're aware that you're in the political uh, throne room of America as well. And so you deal with mighty men and you deal with kings that I don't have to deal with at Withfield. And neither do I covet you for the warfare that you are up against here. But we do fight devils in Whitfield. We do come up against the prince of the city in southwest Virginia. But I have learned that God has given the church the power over every devil, the power over every prince of the city. You have the authority, and in your hand rests the victory of over every king and every mighty man of valor. God gave Joshua the battle plan to defeat the king and the mighty man. I don't believe there is a different strategy for different area. There may be different methods for different areas, but every battle can be won by following this blueprint. I can share with you testimony after testimony where we have applied this to our life in Whitfield and how we have seen an influx numerically and spiritually, how God has opened up the door of the city to us. And not only the city, that God has opened up the door of the Secretary General of the Virginia Governor's Office, personally knows who our church is, has personal influence with our church, and I'm telling you that if you Pentecostals, if you can get a hold of the blueprint, you can also overcome the prince of your, of your city and overthrow the king of this territory. If you believe it, shout amen and give God some glory. I believe in Jesus. I am not talking to you this morning of something that I found on Google.com. I am not speaking to you this morning of something that I heard a powerful preacher preach. I am not preaching to you something that I think will tickle your ears. This has been birthed in me through pain and tribulation. But not only has it been birthed in me, I have seen fruit of myself. I have seen fruit. And I know if the fruit exists in my life, the fruit can also so uh, exist in your life. 
I don't believe also that this is just something that the whole church can do. But I believe if you can apply this in your personal lives, and if you apply this in your families, your sons, your daughters, your grandbabies, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, will come to the Lord God Almighty. If you can get the battle strategy of Joshua, maybe that's where I should have titled this message, the battle strategy of King Joshua. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 3, the Lord lays out these guidelines on how to defeat Jericho. I think the last time I was with you, I shared a message called the Iron Chariot or something in that nature. And as I was in all-night prayer for you last night, I felt that same spirit. I came up against the devils in this community. And you have some very tough devils. But Joshua was up against a very tough city. He was up against the city. They wouldn't let anybody in and they wouldn't let anybody out. You are in a community where the devil is not letting anybody in and is not letting anybody out. But let me give you a word of encouragement. Closed doors does not mean God is saying no. Closed doors is because the enemy is afraid. The reason Jericho shut their doors was because they heard that the God of Israel was on the way. I'm going to speak this out of, out of respect of pastor. And I'm not your pastor here. I'm just a traveling minister coming through. But I'm a pastor. And I got a pastor's heart. If people leave, let them leave. If people are slack, let them be slack. You don't have time to waste your energy on people that are not concerned about the souls of this city. Joshua chapter 6, verse 3, you shall compass uh, the city. He says, I want you uh, to overtake this city. Uh, I am here to tell you, uh, original Pentecostals, uh, God wants you uh, to take uh, this city. Uh, all the men of war. If you are sitting in these chairs right now, doesn't matter if it's your first time in here this Sunday, your third time this Sunday, doesn't matter how long you've been in this church. You might have been in this church for 20 years, but I'm telling you, if you're sitting in the chairs, you have been enlisted as a man and a woman of war. My wife and I are giving Bible study to a young girl named Alex. Alex is the youth director or the regional director of Southwest Virginia over the biggest youth program in the state or in America called Wildlife. And she grew up Episcopalian. And she's in Bible study with us for the next, she's been, I think it's been a month or four weeks or so. And I told her, I said, Alex, I'm going to read some stuff to you in the book of Ephesians. And I know you're Episcopalian, and I know it may be odd to you, but when you signed up and accepted Jesus as your personal savior, you signed up for war. If God has enlisted people into war that just believe in him, how much more of a mindset of warfare should you have if you're filled with the warrior himself? 
when you were filled with the Holy Ghost. God didn't give us the Holy Ghost in our little bitty hearts so that we could feel good about having peace and feeling good about having joy. The worst thing about Christianity in America, we spend all of our time fighting our flesh and not once get to tread upon the demonic realms of our city. But I'm here to tell us in the Holy Ghost, God wants us to go from fighting our flesh to fighting the devil. Get your flesh under control and recompass the city, all of you men of war. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands right now. That's it. I feel us changing right now. I literally feel warfare atmosphere shifting in this place right now. I want you to overtake this city, all of you people of war. You're going to go about this city once. In Pentecost, I'm not belittling this, I'm accolading this, but we do these things called prayer walks. You ever done a prayer walk? I think when y'all took this building, y'all did a prayer walk around the building. I believe in some prayer walking. I believe in encompassing and circling things around about. But he says you're going to circle this city once. Everybody say once. You're going to do this for six days. I want you to circle the city once for six days. Verse 4. But this is how you circle the city. You're going to have seven priests shall bear before you the ark, the uh, seven trumpets of ram's horns. And then on the seventh day, how many are reckon are familiar with the seventh day? What we do in Pentecost, I've been guilty of it a hundred times. We preach Joshua chapter 6 all about the seventh day. The victory is in your shout. I believe the victory is in our shout. I believe there is authentic apostolic authority when you learn to lift up your voice. But the authority does not come on the seventh day. The authority comes on your obedience on day one, day two, day three. I wish somebody was getting this. Day four, Thursday when you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel. Tomorrow when you wake up bright and early to go to work. On Tuesday when you feel like you want to say some bad words because they're cutting out in front of you on the street corner. He says there's supposed to be a once a day lifestyle before you get to the seventh day. Your Sunday is dependent on what you did on Monday. That's why people can come into a church and sit on pews and chairs and not be moved by God because they've been entertained all week and God just doesn't do it like Netflix does. But I'm here to curse the spirit of entertainment. And entertainment, I tell you, I bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I am not here to be entertained. I am here to take dominion over this city. And it shall come to pass, verse 5, it shall come to pass that when you make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people are going to shout with a great shout. And the walls of the city 
will fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up, every man straight before him. Verse, uh, verse 10, skip to verse 10. Joshua had commanded the people, saying, listen to this. I don't know if I've, you've ever saw this, but when the Lord revealed it to me, it shocked me. Do not shout. Don't make a noise with your voice. Don't even let words proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. A lot of people are shouting and God has not given you the okay to shout. Because you haven't circled once a day. The story of Joshua in the battle of Jericho is more about your consistency to prayer than it is about your shouting on a Sunday. There is only one verse in the book of Joshua chapter 5 or chapter 6 that talked about shouting. But there is an entire chapter donated and ascribed to the preparation before the shout. Too many people are coming in here expecting miracles, expecting blessings, but has no consistency, has no commitment, has nothing to support or back up what they're shouting for. I'm not here rebuking you. I am here challenging you and letting you know you can go from ordinary to extraordinary in your prayer life. God is more concerned about what you do the six days than he is concerned about your seventh day. The seventh day is easy. has nothing to do with me. The seventh day has to do all about God. When they shouted, they did nothing. But shout. But when they shouted, God released a host of angels upon that city. You can go and look at it for yourself. There's archaeological or archaeological evidence about the story of Jericho. That there's this city, and it talks about the size of the walls. And somehow, they can't figure it out. Archaeologists can't figure it out. But this city had such thick walls. And it's like one minute the walls are here, and the next minute the walls were gone. I'm telling you, when you get a commitment to consistency in prayer, what has taken you years, God will do in an instant. The church in America... We do not lack anointing. We do not lack authority. We do not lack power. We have all the gifts of the Spirit. The Messiah creator himself dwells inside of us. But where we're being crippled and where we're stumbling, we lack consistency and commitment to prayer. And when I say consistency to commitment, I'm committed to eating healthy until you put a chocolate cake in front of me. I'm committed and eating right, but don't put me in front of a good dessert bar. My consistency goes out the window even though I'm committed. We're committed to God in here. We're committed to prayer in here. But where we're throwing our stuff out the window is our consistency. God is looking for consistency in your commitment. 
It is not the will of God for you to toil as hard as you do. It is not the will of God for you to labor as hard as you do. It is not the will of God for you to pray and fast and invest spiritually as you do. And then you get kicked one time and you're back at square one. That is not the divine will of God. The divine will of God for your life is that you go from faith to greater faith. From glory to more glory. Does anybody want to go from faith to faith and glory to glory? Romans 1.17 says it. For therefore is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. You know why people backslide and people throw in the towel? It's because they're living for God based on their emotions, based on their logic, based on their education, but they have no conviction of faith. Honey, when you get faith inside of you, you don't care what happens. You know what you know is right. The only way you're going to be able to break the barrier of an ordinary prayer life into an extraordinary prayer life is embracing an attitude of consistency. I'll do it every day. I'll pray every day, even if it kills me. Even if some of my priorities that I think is priorities, even if they're neglected, I'll pray every day. Because that's how your battle will be won, is from your consistency to prayer. The only thing that can resist a committed church of prayer is having an apathetic attitude about prayer. There isn't a devil that can stop a committed church. There isn't a sickness that can stop consistency. There isn't a tribulation going on in your world right now that can stop consistency. The only thing that can stop your consistency is a lack of an attitude to be consistent. That's why Paul said it like this. He says, though hell, he says, angels, devils, this world, the life to come, nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Why? I'm fully persuaded that he's going to do it. Paul says, I'm consistent in this thing. I've made up my mind. My stake is in the ground. And I've determined that what God says goes. What God said he can do, he can do. God intends for your consistency to produce maturity. You know why people are inconsistent? Immaturity. Immature Christians are inconsistent. Have you ever seen a millionaire that worked hard to become a millionaire? Not a lotto winner. But a millionaire that worked hard to be a millionaire. Have you ever found one to be inconsistent? You ever met an athlete? A superstar as they call him? that was inconsistent in his workout plan? Ever, ever met one of the celebrity gods of this world or Hollywood that got on their movie script or in the screen film by inconsistent in their craft? They've matured themselves that says, this is what I want to be. This is who I am. I'm going to be consistent and I'm going to be mature in it. Romans 5 verse 2 says it like this, by whom also we have access by faith. Aren't you thankful we got access to the throne of God? That's what's happened. We've forgotten what we got access to. 
We think we need access to the White House. We need access to the bank account. We need access here and there. Honey, you got access to the throne room of glory. You got access to the creator of himself. He says we got access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. I don't got time to talk about grace, but you got to learn to you got to learn to thank God for grace. Grace, I, I can't get into it, but grace is what's keeping us afloat right now. Grace is what's keeping me up here right now because without grace, we would be lost, floating down a river, minds done lost, lost out there and lost our minds. But thank God we can stand in grace. Grace is God's ability in us when we don't have the ability to do. We stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul writes to the Roman church. He says the reason we are uh, adamant as we are, the reason we're consistent as we are, we have an expectation uh, that God is going to reveal his glory to us. That's why Paul can say it like this. Despite the tribulation you go through, uh, nothing can compare to the glory uh, that will be revealed inside of you. He writes again in another passage. He says, you tear this tabernacle down. I got a building that's been built by God and not the hands of man. You got to realize your inner man is being shaped. It's been created. It's been developed by the hands of God. But look what he says. Not only do we have this hope of this glory. Verse 3. Not only so, but we glory. In tribulation also, he says, I'm so consistent. I got a pit bull tenacity in me that despite what I go through, I still have learned to see the manifestation of the power of God in my life. Some of you missed it. That's why he wrote in 2 Corinthians, uh, he says, I've learned to boast in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, he's strong. I have learned the power of Christ in my infirmities. See, a lot of us pray and say, God, fill me with your strength. Fill me with your power. God's power can't be filled in you. God's authority cannot lay on you unless you're not able to do it. God's power doesn't work in our ability. God's power works in our inability. So he says, not only so, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that my consistency and my desire to see the glory of God, even in my circumstance, will produce patience. Patience, that word literally means consistency. The reason God allowed you to go through and you're praying to get out of your situation, God said, I'm not going to get you out of this so you learn some consistency. I'm going to keep my hand on you, child, because if I don't allow you to grow and mature in your consistency, uh, the next time the devil comes around, he's going to cut your throat. This is why people get discouraged when they go through their tribulation. They don't know their father that's chastising them. This is why it's called a relationship with God. When you have a relationship with the Father, man, I don't have time to get into this other part about prayer. But Jesus says it like this. Pray that you enter not into temptation. That when it says when you enter not in temptation, it doesn't mean pray uh, that you never go through anything. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Pray that you never go through anything. Jesus gave us one promise that you can all be sure it fulfills in your life. In this world, you will face tribulation. You can stand on that promise. 
but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Aren't you thankful you got an overcomer? Greater is he that's in you that's in this world. Greater is he that's in you. Greater is he that's in the original Pentecostals. Greater is he that's in you. But what Jesus pray says, pray. He says when you pray about not to enter in temptation, that word temptation literally means getting to a point where you question if God is on your side or not. It is a sin. Listen to me. It is a sin to question if God loves you. That is sin because it's faithlessness. I don't have time to get into it all. When you go in through a situation, you're going through a trial, you should never get in that trial and feel, God, do you still love me? God, have you abandoned me? That's not faith. That is sin. Jesus says, if you learn to pray, you will not enter into temptation when you go through your tribulation. Because if you can learn to be consistent in prayer in your tribulation, God will mature your consistency or your patience within you. Verse 4 continues to say, and your consistency is going to produce your experience. It's going to produce your maturity inside of you. You'll no longer be an immature. Have you ever found, uh, have you ever uh, came in contact with a Christian that's really mature? And they go through things and it's like it doesn't even phase them. I mean, yeah, they're sad. I'm not speaking that you can't be in the molly grubs. You can't wake up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. But have you ever met someone? It's like, my God, they're going through hell. And how do they still have joy in there? I don't understand. They got consistency uh, in their tribulation. Uh, and it produced uh, maturity uh, and experience inside of them. It is each and every one's personal decision. This decision does not rest on your pastor. This decision does not rest on your first lady or your church leadership. It is your decision whether you're going to have an ordinary prayer life or an extraordinary prayer life. I believe I'm right now in a church that's full of a group of people that says, God, I want extraordinary. I want to go beyond the ordinary. It's your decision. Listen to me. It's your decision if you're going to have a normal Pentecostal American Christianity lifestyle and be religious and go through your worship semantics. It's your decision or it could be your decision that you're going to know your God in a very extraordinary way and get extraordinary answers and results to your prayer life. An ordinary Jew in the Old Testament, a part of the nation of Israel, it was part of their culture custom that they would pray three times a day. That may seem like a lot to us, but for a Jew, that was ordinary. So if a Jew wanted to be an extraordinary Jew, they were required to pray more than three times a day. That's why we find King David writing, in Psalms chapter 119, verse 164, he says, seven times a day, I'm going to praise you. Seven times a day. I'm not satisfied with my ordinary three times a day. I want to be extraordinary, and I'm going to pray and praise you seven times a day. What was ordinary? What extraordinary and extraordinary life is God calling you to this morning? 
What is God asking you to do that's beyond your ordinary lifestyle? David was not perfect, but he had extraordinary faith. David had all kinds of flaws, all kinds of weaknesses, all kinds of sins, but he had an extraordinary faith, and faith produces fruit that glorifies the Father. If you can get an extraordinary faith in you, you'll start seeing extraordinary fruit in your life, and you'll start seeing an extraordinary glory of the Father manifested in the way you live. According to the most recent study on prayer, this is the most recent study that's out there, the average Christian in the state of Virginia, this particular study broke it down across the entire nation. It broke it down by states. It broke it down by ethnicities. It broke it down by economical status. But the overall arching results, the average Christian in Virginia prays nine minutes a day, only three days a week. How can I come into a church on Sunday and worship and shout and I've only spent with him probably 20 minutes out of the entire week. Church, we got to go from an ordinary Virginian to an extraordinary Virginian. I'm not preaching this to you to beat you up. I'm not preaching this to you to make you feel bad. I am letting you know there is a desperation in the kingdom of God for consistency to consistency in prayer. The average, the average Christian pastor, the average Christian pastor, do you realize, I don't know, I got a burden for denominal churches. I go to lunch with denominal pastors. I go fishing with them. I teach them Bible studies. I got, I got a burden for pastors that have not been baptized in Jesus' name. And that means that if they don't have truth like what I consider what I see in the scripture as truth, and if I believe it, that means they're sending their entire flock down the wrong path. I got a burden. The average Christian pastor prays 12 minutes a day, three times a week. Statistically, that means your co-worker you're going to co to work with, their pastor does not care for their soul. We must get consistency in our prayer life. The reason people are lost is because Richie doesn't pray for them like he should. We got to get a consistency. We got to get a tenacity. We got to get a passion inside of us that says, I'll walk around this city in prayer once a day. And then I'll shout about it on Sunday. The condition of whether we live an ordinary life of prayer or whether we live an extraordinary life of prayer is determined by the condition of the heart. Simply put, the condition of my prayer life reflects the condition of my heart. I pray the way that I do because that's what's in my heart. I miss a day of prayer because that's what's in my heart. In the New Living Translation in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I remember when the Lord showed this to me. It was probably maybe a couple weeks ago. And I thought I was doing good with my prayer life. 
I really did. I've been, and pastors have heard me say it probably a thousand times, I have not preached one sermon in the past 22 weeks outside of prayer. I have preached 22 weeks straight on what I'm talking to you about. This is not something that was microwaved in my spirit. This is not something that I'm standing on top of a mountain telling you about. But I'm right there in the boat with you on the river, and I'm rowing. And I've said, I think I found something. That if we can get consistency in our prayer life, we'll start seeing consistency moves of God. It won't be sporadic. We'll start seeing our family. Does anybody want to get a consistent walk of God in their life? 1 John chapter 2, I'm coming to a close. Do not love this world. Nor the things that are in this world. This is what the apostle speaking to his church. This is what the father spoke to me about. He said, Richie, the reason you're praying where you are, the reason you can only reach a certain limit in your prayer time, the only reason you can reach a certain dimension when you pray, you still got the love of the world inside your heart. And he began to show me where the love of the world is and what the lanes of this world was. And I went on a three-day journey of just repentance. I mean, it's not what you would consider just big old outbladish lifestyle sins or habits or anything. But there was just still attachments to this world. And it was keeping me from an extraordinary life of prayer. And the Father is speaking to you this morning under the unction of the Holy Ghost, original Pentecostals, do not love this world, neither the things that are in this world. For that what is in this world, if you have that love in you, that's not the love of the Father. And maybe some other time I'll share with you how love and relationship is the very mode and motivation of our prayer life. I can't pray for the things the Father loves when I got a love of my own inside of me. That's why he told, I got to come to a close. I got so much of this stuff to say. That's why he told his disciples. He says, my joy is going to abide inside of you. Anything you ask the Father in my name, I'm going to do it. See, we speak that scripture, but we don't ever see that scripture. He says, and I'm going to do whatever you ask in my name so that the joy that I've given you can remain on full. But when... I have other things that are my source of joy. I start praying for worldly stuff, thinking that is what's going to get me saved, thinking that's what's going to keep me happy. The only thing that's going to keep us in the church is having a love of the Father inside of us. Verse 16, for the world, Hollywood, the government, it only offers you a craving for physical pleasures. Craving from everything we see. Oh, I'm not your pastor, so I ain't going to touch on a lot of it. And in pride in our achievements and our possessions. I'm not scared of any devil. I'm not scared of any church member. I'm not scared of anyone that does not pray. Because I've learned that if I pray, 
I have something inside of me that can change the very elements of the air. These are not from our Father, but those are from this world. I don't have to list a laundry list of the love of the world. I don't have to go and list a bunch of stuff that we know is wrong. I don't have to do those things. But we know in our hearts what's of love and what is not. And I want to challenge you this morning. And I want to encourage you. And I want to add value to your life this morning that says if you can get the love of the world out of you, you can get the love of the Father in you. And if you can get the love of the Father inside of you, you'll pray with the consistency of extraordinary prayers. If you stand to your feet this morning, and if that is something that you want, and that is something that you desire, if you desire an extraordinary life of prayer, I want you right where you are to lift your hands and begin to call on God. Or the customers, you come to the altar, you come to the altar. We're going to hold off on the music for a moment, and we're just going to give our hearts to God this morning. We're going to lift up our souls to God. We need to beat the statistics of, of Virginia prayer life. We need to beat the statistic of only praying nine minutes a day. We need to beat that statistic. If you only pray 10 minutes a day, I challenge you, start praying 30 minutes every day. If you already pray 30 minutes every day, I challenge you to pray an hour every day. Not just once, not just on a fast, but you're going to have to get the love of this world out of your heart and say, Lord, I love you, Father. I have a love for prayer. I have a love for communion. I have a love for the things of the Almighty God. That's it, people. That's it, my brother. That's it, my sister. Lift up your soul. Lift up your soul. Lift up your heart. Lift it up to your father. Let him know that you love him. Let him know. You got to say, Lord. Take the love of this world out of me. Take the love of entertainment out of me. Take the love out of movies out of me. Lord, take that love out of me. Lord, and give me a prayer life. Give me a love of the Father. Lord, take the love of lust out of me. Take the cravings of jealousy out of me. Lord, take that hatred out of me. Lord, so that I can love you, Father. Say, let God speak to you. Let him speak to you. Let him speak to you. Lord, I'm going to do it once a day. I'm going to pray once a day. I'm going to be beyond the average statistic. I'm going to pray once a day. Lord, I'm going to do it. If you're not praying at all, I'm not bashing you. I'm encouraging you. Pray five minutes. Pray ten minutes. Pray 15. Pray 20. But you can do it. You can do it. You can grow a consistency. Start tonight. Start tomorrow on Monday. And when you come in here next Sunday, you're going to find there is a victory in your shout because you got a consistency in your prayer. 
That's it. That's it. Lift up your soul. That's it. Lift up your soul. That's it. You're doing good. You ain't got no music pumping you up. This is just you, your heart, your conscience, and the Holy Ghost. That's good. You. This is not emotionalism. This is not sensationalism. This is you and God. This is pure. This is your body laid in before the Lord. This is you laying your, your intellect, laying your emotions, laying everything about you before the Lord. This is what he requires. Lift up your soul. That's it. That's beautiful. That's it. Serve the Lord with your whole heart. That's it, saint of God. That's it, saint of God. That's it, saint of God. That's it. Yes, yes, that's it. Let them birth the consistency in you. That's it. Let them birth the consistency in you. It may not start off explosive. That six-day march was difficult every day. You go and read it for yourself. It may be hard. You may not feel it. But your consistency will give you victory when it's time for you to shout. That's it. Let that consistency be birthed in you. That's it. Let consistency be birthed in your spirit this morning. <laughs> 